This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good Friday afternoon. You're listening to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture with me, T. Shao Ik and Lim Su. And today we have two stories for you. The first one is looking at coping with loneliness during these times. It's the third day of the second movement control order for many of us uh, living in the sixth state uh, where this MCO has been implemented. And if you're working from home and starting to feel somewhat lonely again, you're not alone. Mm. Since the pandemic started, loneliness has been a large part of the conversation around uh, our mental health and while we've been used to social restrictions and staying at home more often in this past year that doesn't mean that we no longer experience anxiety from social isolation uh, we still crave the physical and, uh, interactions that come with socialising so today we want to look at ways that we can cope with loneliness and continue to stay socially connected Yes, and following that our second story we'll be looking at uh, some, a piece of news from earlier today when Bukit Aman's principal Assistant Director of the Sexual Women and Child Investigations Division, Siti Kamsia Hassan, said that there has been an increase in reports of child rape perpetrated by family members throughout the various lockdowns. So we'll give you the stats on it and speak to Shamla Sekran of Voice of the Children on the matter. And if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us with regard to either of our stories, you can, as always, tweet us at BFM Radio. Or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. So first about loneliness, you know. So the other day I read an eye-opening article by the New York Times, um, which was titled Combating an Epidemic of Loneliness. And this was written by journalist Emily Son. Um, and she highlighted how loneliness itself is an epidemic that's been caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, experts are worrying that there's a rise in cases of loneliness and this can have detrimental effects, especially if it becomes a chronic condition. Mm. And according to several studies that have been conducted, being lonely can have a detrimental effect on our mental health, it can cause problems like anxiety, depression, dementia and it can even give rise to heart disease and thoughts of self-harm. But if we think about it, Suen, the worries surrounding loneliness are not surprising, right? Mm. With this current MCO that's just been reimposed uh, on many of us, um, we are at home for longer periods of time. Uh, for some of us, virtually 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. That's right. Uh, and uh, if there are a Amongst you, those who live by yourselves, then the chances of you experiencing loneliness is even greater. You know, there's less social contact, fewer physical interactions. You can't, um, in the things that perhaps we took for granted before, you can't hug family uh, family members and friends, uh, let alone shake each other's hands mm-hmm. now, you know. And let's not forget that some people have been separated from their families because they work in cities outside of their home states and interstate travel isn't allowed right now. Mm, I think what we've seen is that this whole pandemic has shed a lot of light on how social interactions are an important and a key part of our mental health. I mean, in fact, there was a 2020 study published in the journal Nature Neuroscience, which found that social interactions aren't just comforting to us. We really need them. Yeah, that being said, despite the various MCOs we've experienced, we've also found ways to adapt and stay connected Mm -hmm. with our friends and family. Um, You know, there's been a proliferation of video calls, Skype, Zoom. Um, You know, um, my son just turned six this 
this week mm. and uh, we did his birthday sing song and blowing out of candles with his grandparents through through a video Aww. call you know so the options are quite endless thanks to technology but I think um, at the same time it's also important to note that the ability to connect digitally is a privilege that nah, unfortunately not everyone have um, ironically uh, in fact some people in particular teens have said that they still feel lonely despite connecting with their friends online so that New York Times article uh, earlier they interviewed high school students who said that they feel more anxious staying at home on the internet because they get this overload of depressing stories from the news while they are online so um, even though these specific examples apply to teenagers I think all of us can relate in some way especially um, you know being that, that point about being exposed to the news feed all the time that doom scrolling <laughs> that I mean, both of about. us do that quite a lot I'm pretty sure I know and then we text each other and then we spiral don't we um, and you know if you're doing that a lot you might feel somewhat isolated because you sort of get too absorbed um, in all the bleak news that you read about COVID-19 mm, especially when for us right it's in our job to do that you know to keep up with all these bleak news that just comes in every day non-stop unfortunately yeah. you just have to know when to switch off so. mm. yeah, yeah and, and I guess that's why it's healthy to get some time away from our screens right and balance that by also setting some time aside for ourselves to reflect and to get some breathing space um, and this reminds me of something that uh, Dr. Eugene T, who's an associate professor in psychology, what he brought up when Dash and Sharmila spoke with him last year. And uh, we're actually going to catch up with him again in a bit. But essentially what uh, Dr. Eugene said was that being alone and having that occasional time for yourself doesn't mean that you're lonely or that you're mentally isolated. In fact, that can be healthy. And separately, Dr. Rob, uh, Robert Copland, a developmental psychologist at Carleton University in the US, even says that human also have uh, humans also have a natural desire for solitude. And he even prescribed a term for it, which is called a loneliness versus loneliness. Mm-hmm. A loneliness, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Not a loneliness. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so it's important to keep that in mind, to get that balance between having alone time where you take a step back and get some quiet, uh, but also don't forget to stay connected mm-hmm. so that you don't actually get into isolation. So to look at ways we can identify signs of loneliness and how we can deal with it during this current MCO, we've got Dr. Eugene T himself, uh, an associate professor in psychology on the line with us. Um, thanks uh, for joining us, Dr. Eugene. Before we look at ways to cope with loneliness, um, how do we actually know if we're lonely? What are some signs we can look out for? Right. So loneliness is an emotion and specifically it's a feeling that one lacks the quantity and importantly, the quality in our social connections. So there's a discrepancy, if you will, in the number and the closeness in our relationships with others. So interestingly, if we define loneliness in this way, that also means that we can be lonely even if we know a lot of people. So don't let the number of friends that someone has on their Facebook account fool you into thinking that they are not lonely. They might be individuals who have a lot of contacts, but those contacts and relationships are pretty much at the superficial level rather than being a deep, meaningful connection that they have. So one obvious indicator of loneliness is feeling that you don't have enough of these close, meaningful relationships or connections with others. Another might be isolation and disconnectedness, even when you're in the presence of a lot of people, large social settings, for instance. We also see some evidence for the health effects of uh, loneliness, disrupted sleep, uh, diminished appetite, 
Um, lowered energy is another one feeling like, you know, you don't really want to get out of bed. Impaired cognitive functioning and a more pessimistic outlook on life. But if I could just simplify this, essentially, if we go back to the term, ask yourself this. Do I have enough people that I can trust and relate to at a deep, meaningful level? Um, if not, then you're likely to be reporting and actually feeling lonely. So we've previously gone through an MCO. We've stayed at home for longer periods in the past year, but people may still feel anxious about the second MCO, especially um, if they live alone. So how can we effectively cope if we're feeling lonely? Uh, human beings definitely thrive on social connection, but the MCO, um, self-imposed quarantine, these all effectively limit our opportunity to relate meaningfully with others. There are a few suggestions on how we can cope with this. One is to obviously take steps to stay connected with others. And here I'd like to advocate the use of the traditional phone call over the Zoom or Skype meetings. This can actually help us bridge the gap brought about by movement restrictions, self-imposed quarantines, there are also tons of um, research evidence out there showing the merits of and the advantages of online support groups. They have been an effective way uh, to help individuals seek connections and share similar feelings of loneliness or maybe some of the mental health challenges that they may be going through during this time. One effective way, in effect, uh, from the use of social groups, online catch-up meetups, is the acknowledgement and the recognition that you are really not alone in your experience of loneliness. You can even search for loneliness support groups, but you know you don't have to go all the way there. Maybe a general meetup on topics of shared interest. See what turns up. You might make a new friend during this time. Um, I'll also say that it helps to make a routine from it all. You might schedule a catch-up with friends or colleagues maybe once a week, once a fortnight, and importantly, make that a habit. I certainly find that the anticipation of a virtual social meetup can be as exciting as an actual in-person meetup. Mm. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that people who feel lonely also feel isolated or disconnected in social settings um, in the presence of others. So does that mean that it's possible to feel lonely even if we live in a household with family members or with housemates? Mm, absolutely. I think one of the main assumptions about living together is assuming that when we share a roof or room, that we are close to those that we're sharing them with. Uh, this is certainly not the case. It is a very optimistic assumption to make. I certainly don't need to tell our readers and listeners of the love-hate relationship that we sometimes have with <laughs> family members. Uh, here, I, might th I think it might be useful to make a further distinction between loneliness and what a psychologist refer to as social isolation. So loneliness is the subjective feeling of being alone, disconnected, or separated. Social isolation is more of the objective physical separation. So you're living away from, from, from seeing another person. We can be physically separated from others, say living in a different state or country from our friends. But if we're comfortable doing so, that's comfortable social isolation and it results in solitude. But that distance and detachment can also become an unwanted experience. So this is what we term loneliness instead. If we don't feel a sense of connection or you know, depth of self-disclosure, with those that we share a household with, then yes, it is indeed possible to feel lonely, even in a household with known family members or housemates. Put another way, we can be physically distant, but still connected. Likewise, we can be physically close, but still feel very disconnected from one another. Dr. Eugene, the last time our colleagues checked in with you, you touched on how having time to ourselves can be healthy and that being alone doesn't mean that you're lonely, as you've said as well. Are there ways we can mentally shift our mindsets when it comes to not equating being alone with being lonely? 
you know, we need social time, we need alone time. So I think any um, mindset shift, as, as you term it, needs to acknowledge. And I think this is one that uh, we've not addressed or spoken about before. We need to also acknowledge personality differences. If I were to suggest, say, take time off to, to meditate, go sign up for that online course, read a bit more, an introvert might take to these suggestions a lot better than an extroverted person. And we know an introvert draws energy primarily from quiet, contemplative, introspective moments. An extrovert draws them primarily from meaningful social connections. So I suggest finding some ratio. It doesn't have to be a strict numerical indicator uh, of how much social connection you need to thrive on. So use that ratio to then portion out the time to engage in activities that help you manage that feelings, uh, those feelings of loneliness. Uh, introverts need social connections, so let's not go and assume that just because you're introverted, you don't need anybody. But they're certainly less reliant on frequent social interactions than their extroverted counterparts. So one way, just to make all this a little bit more tangible, one way I found helpful in mentally shifting my mindset is to think of solitude as an opportunity to learn uh, to reflect, to recharge, while socializing as the opportunity to stay connected, to be a friend, or maybe even if it's really something that you enjoy, to hear the latest gossip and rumors circling about your social circles. There are benefits to both social and uh, solitude-related moments in your life. So in a way, what I'm suggesting is we're compartmentalizing. Right? I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but think about compartmenting and dividing your time depending on what you need. Whether we need to spend time alone or with others, it's also important that we recognize that our personalities mean that we will differ in how much of each that we'll allocate our time to. Uh, thinking about solitude time or social time in this way will help you avoid simply equating uh, being alone to being lonely. Right. And what are some things people could start doing perhaps to benefit from taking some time for themselves while not feeling lonely? Again, off the top of my head, I'm referring to the established empirical evidence here uh, with regards to emotion management and loneliness. So firstly, I think it's important to recognize that there is indeed value in being alone with your thoughts. It's not always a bad thing. You can try, for instance, journaling your thoughts. I personally find it helpful in getting me to reflect on the challenges that lay ahead, but also importantly, as a reminder that there are people around me, interactions I've had with them, and you know moments in which they've come true for which I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for. So some psychological interventions and studies revolve around this, simply writing out your experiences. Whether you write about your emotions, your experience over the day, or write on who or what you are grateful for, both have been found to help individuals manage difficult emotions, loneliness uh, included. Spending time on reflecting uh, through, say, writing about these close relationships and those that you can, can turn to, uh, those are great ways to counter feelings of loneliness as well. So I think we all have our ups and downs when it comes to our emotions, right? We may feel all right one day and then feel lonely and mentally isolated the next. Is this considered normal? And how would you suggest people navigate the state of flux? Yes, it is indeed normal. It means that you are feeling what is normal in response to the situation that we're, that's going on outside. The moment you step out of your house, you run into a risk of catching disease. So yes, with so much going in the world right now, just, just outside our homes, our emotions too are going to be in, in flux. Uh, and, and you also asked a little bit about what we can do to navigate these uncertain times. So right off the top of my head, uh, during these you know, these, these interesting times, I'm not going to say unprecedented, it's been said often enough, these interesting times that we're in, 
uh, it helps to cultivate self-awareness and mindfulness of your feeling states. When you feel them, and importantly as well, I think a lot of people uh, don't take conscious effort to recognize the likely triggers of your emotions. I'll give you an example. For instance, you might notice yourself feeling increasingly anxious, worrying a lot more about the uncertainties of, say, having read news about an impending lockdown. You might identify uh, with feelings of inadequacy or self-doubt from seeing posts from your friends on social media. They're being more productive than you are. Keeping track of your feelings, your emotions, is one way to cultivate this more mindful and more self-aware uh, understanding of what it is that you're going through. I'm also going to mention that recognizing your social media habits is another. We cannot rule out the influence that our phones and our doom scrolling, right, what it does have on our mental health and our emotions. I'm not suggesting a complete digital detox, but less screen time might benefit your mood and also go about decreasing feelings of loneliness. So in short, tracking your feeling states, knowing why you feel uplifted and why you feel discouraged, unpleasant emotions, those seem crucial uh, given the current circumstances we find ourselves in. Uh, let's unpack a little bit about what you just said, um, uh, you know, about uh, engaging with this doom scrolling and checking social media usage. It's also interesting to me how you suggested earlier that we give others a phone call to stay connected on top of video calling someone. Are you saying that there are limits to connecting uh, digitally and how would this relate to the issue of loneliness? Absolutely. I think um, without being pessimistic and I'm, I'm pretty sure we can also talk about the technological advances that have actually made computer mediated communication more natural but as it is right now absolutely i would say that there is considerable evidence out there that there is a difference between face-to-face -face communication and conveying uh, your, your your message connecting with others on screen so for one uh, despite all the technological advancements we have we're still communicating largely in the absence of meaningful, informative, telling, revealing, non-verbal cues when it comes to our, uh, virtual meetings. The, the sense of artificiality of it all also means that we are primarily interacting with screens, um, not with people. Uh, so this is why, interestingly, if we just extrapolate all the observations here, that despite the, the wide, widespread use, proliferation of social media and online communications, Loneliness is actually rising in, instead of decreasing. We are alone together, as uh, some commentators have mentioned. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget that it's actually hard to sit still for entire online interaction, even if it is a so social catch-up. Seeing people actually like uh, pick on their, their, their fingers, do their nails, even in social catch-up. So <laughs> distractions from other open windows, apps, you find some fiddling on your phone, along with our limited attention span. So these make online Zoom and Skype meetings quickly tiring. That's another reason why virtual meetings aren't quite as natural or quite as sustaining as face-to-face -face physical interactions. Sounds very familiar. Um, but you know, some people and businesses are keen on ensuring that meetings and events stay virtual. Can virtual interactions ever replace the physical ones? If we want to split hairs here, I think we can talk about the use or the the end purpose of such, say, virtual versus, versus physical interactions. I think when it comes to task-related matters, we're talking more of facts, figures, numbers, presentations, conveying of information that is predominantly one way, then I would say then, yes, virtual meetings are here to say they're an efficient way of 
conveying and communicating, updating your target audience. But when it comes to, if we're talking about loneliness, and just want to bring this back to our main topic of conversation here. If you want to connect authentically and meaningfully, almost in a way of saying like conveying um, and, and connecting hearts, if you will, understanding the subjectivities of human emotion. And I think as it is right now, I don't know all the technologies out there, but I'm going to say that we're still away before we can find some form of communication uh, using technology that will allow us to connect authentically and meaningfully as human beings, not through the medium of technology. Um, I'm no tech expert, so I'll say that given the existing technology that we have, maybe not yet, but you know, I'm I'm also fairly optimistic. Uh, I mean, we've had like trials for some of the vaccines already re- reached like third stage and being administered around. So I, I'm going to be optimistic and say eventually it may. You can count on um, advances in augmented and also virtual technology, virtual reality technologies uh, to bridge the gap between the virtual and the physical. But I still think it will be a while before we connect and interact naturally with others in a virtual setting, right? So uh, to a point where we can effectively replace face-to-face interactions. Once we see improvements to internet infrastructure, um, internet availability, accessibility across the country, new technologies rolled out in the future uh, using AR or VR, we might inch closer, but I'm still skeptical about replacing it with genuine human physical connection. It might still be a while. So Dr. Eugene, during the first uh, MCO, the government extended stay-at-home restrictions every two weeks uh, at the last minute. And for many of us, it was unpleasant since there was always this this feeling of uncertainty. You know, I would always think, uh, when can I finally go out to resume some of my normal routines and connect physically? So to just wrap up our conversation, looking at the weeks ahead, how can people deal with this uncertainty? In addition to taking stock of your emotions, I think I uh, mentioned just a while ago, it helps to recognize that these feelings of uncertainty, anxiety are normal. It's your body and brain's natural response to potential threats and and, and dangers in the environment. But the thoughts that you mentioned, the, the clamoring for certainty, if I can put it, we feel this way because we lack, importantly, a sense of control over our situation. This is why we crave for normalcy predictability, the assurance of certainty means that we have a sense of control over our environments. And unfortunately, the sense of control has been left behind during our pre-pandemic days. Uh, we, that, that need for certainty and control explains why our thoughts tend to revolve around what we used to do, the activities that we used to engage in, in a world, in a time before the virus. As for how people can deal with uncertainty and anxiety... Uh, just to extend on you know, journaling, being mindful, cultivating self-awareness. I think it also helps to take this time to realize how, how stubbornly witty and resilient we are. Few of us are actually keen to look back to 2020, but if you could just pause for a second, and I run this exercise with a few of my friends and my, my students as well, and pause for a second, look back to the year that has been, list one, just one thing, that has carried you through that last year, right? It might help you realize that you have indeed grown from it, or we have all grown from the experiences that has been in 20, or what we've gone through in 2020. It can be a skill that you've developed, a realization that you are now tougher than you often give yourself credit for. It might be the relationship, realization, sorry, that some relationships matter more than others. And while we're on the topic of, of loneliness, the realization that certain people will be there for us no matter what. Right, come rain, shine, or pandemic. 
So often we look ahead and this is just our hopes and our anticipation of when the pandemic is going to be over, when we can go out again with our friends, of course, obviously after getting the vaccine, when the MCO will be lifted. But it pays maybe just every so often to, I think, look back just briefly, just a glance backwards to remind yourself of how far you've come amidst all the interesting times and experiences we've accumulated so far. On that positive note, thanks so much for speaking with us, Dr. Eugene, and stay safe yourself. That was Dr. Eugene T., Associate Professor in Psychology, and he spoke to us about identifying signs of loneliness, how to address feelings of social isolation, and you should understand that having time to yourself is just as important as connecting with others. Yeah, and I thought Dr. Eugene's point on embracing the fact that feelings of loneliness, as with all our emotions, you know, will always be in flux and to just to acknowledge that and to take stock of our feelings frequently. Yeah, and the main thing I took away was also let's take a glance back at 2020 and look at for how far we've come and what's helped us to get through this past year and, and just use that as a, as a strength to help us yes. get ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, if you have any thoughts, do share them with us. Tweet us at BFM Radio, WhatsApp us at 018 9889899. We'll go for a quick break and we'll be back with our second story right here on the Daily Digest, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.